turn friends this morning with me to uh, uh, the book of Numbers, and I'll read there in uh, chapter 24, and at verse 5, <clears throat> the prophecy of Balaam. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of ling aloes, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. <clears throat> Friends, this book of uh, Numbers uh, has a title that it got from the Septuagint, which you may know is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was translated about 400 years before Christ in Alexandria in Egypt. And they chose perhaps hastily this name Numbers because of the list of uh, and numbers of the children of Israel. But of course, this book says a lot more than that. <clears throat> and the Hebrew title for this book is The Wanderings because it compasses the wandering of the people from Mount Sinai right to the very borders of the promised land. Written, of course, by their leader, their great leader, Moses. And here they are approaching what has been long promised them after 40 years. They're approaching the borders of Canaan, but there are obstacles in the way. There are these other <clears throat> nations on the east side of the Jordan, the Moabites and the Midianites, who are violently opposed of them and, in fact, in terror of them. And this gives rise to this account that we have of Balak, the king of Moab, and his uh, supreme effort to try and stop Israel in their tracks. Uh, but contrary to his great hopes and expectations, the means that he uses utterly fail because the man that he chooses becomes an instrument of giving us uh, a wonderful vision of the future of Israel. In other words, of the church of God. Don't we need that, friends? Don't we all need a bright vision of the church? We aren't to look around us to see the church. We are to go to scriptures and to be inspired by God's view of his church, of which we are part. We must raise our eyes 
beyond what we can see physically and are to be led by a vision of the great reality which God sees. And isn't it remarkable that that uh, vision from uh, long before the New Testament days and Pentecost came, there was a bright and glorious vision of the church, not by one of the prophets, but by a man from outside the church. Maybe that's a lesson to us. Here's an outsider viewing the church, and he sees it in a much brighter light than the people that were inside the church. He could see far beyond what they themselves could see as they murmured and groaned under the privations of the desert. Oh, friends, don't be a prisoner to your present circumstances. Don't allow your own toils and struggles to dictate your vision of the glorious membership that you have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've had lately our sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where we met around the precious table of the Lord, fed by the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. And what uh, an immeasurable privilege that is to partake of Christ. Surely that determines for us a glorious future. So let us spell out a little bit of this uh, as we uh, just can touch on one or two of the things that Balaam was given. First of all, we'll look at the vision unlikely, then the vision spiritual, then the vision powerful, and then the vision royal. Four aspects of this vision of the church of Christ. A vision unlikely, we've already said. Who would have thought? that this pagan man from maybe a, a thousand miles away from Israel should be charged with this wonderful prophecy. Um, and this is highlighted for us by the fact, by the beast that he rode upon. His very beast became an instrument of the Lord to speak his word. And that shows what means God can use. God can astonish us. God can speak to you, friends, by anything at all. It may be a breakdown of your car or a puncture. It may be an a encounter with some hostile person. In the street, I remember meeting an atheist in the streets of Lockerbie. And I just felt so much the Lord was there in confronting that angry man. It spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me through his protests. Ah, yes. But above all, of course, 
this vision is unlikely because of the person who met Balaam on his journey. It was the angel of the Lord. That's the secret and source of his vision. And of course, you know and I that the angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate visitation of Christ, our Redeemer, to his people in the Old Testament. So here is the Lord of his church. He whose church it is has designed to meet this heathen man on his journey and deliver to him a message which he must speak. We see here the magnitude of this vision. And it says the angels, we know that angel means a messenger, but what a messenger. Here is the Lord of glory, the second person of the Trinity, descending down to this primitive age and to this uh, wicked man and confronting him and charging him with a message. Doesn't that make us all wonder? What a vision it must be when it comes from him who has descended at that moment from the glory of heaven and who has uh, in his mind all the plan and purpose and covenant of redemption from beginning to end. And it's from uh, uh, that knowledge that he charges this man with this vision. Oh, the magnitude of this angel. Oh, the mission of this angel, just let's emphasize again that to these ancient people, these murmurers and complainers of Israel who have failed so often, eh, God entrusts through this man a heavenly view of his people and their future. <clears throat> Why? Because these same people are to be participants in this future. Though their carcasses may have fallen in the wilderness, though they may be facing, others of them may be facing fierce warfare and battles in Canaan, yet to all of them this vision is entrusted because they are now enjoying the fullness of that vision in glory. And that's the way God works with us here below. That was his mission to inspire his people. And then there's the means we've mentioned, the means, not only the magnitude, the mission, but the means of this angel. He used a donkey. He used an ass. And in a sense, this Balaam is an ass riding on an ass. He's a foolish man. We may be impressed in some measure with his uh, obedience. 
which is compelled to give to the angel and to his instructions. And yet at the same time, scripture records that he was a man given to <clears throat> bribes and corruption. He was wanting to do what he couldn't do. And he was compelled to do what he didn't want to do. In other words, he was an ass. There are many like that, friends, even in pulpits today, who are reading scriptures, but they don't believe them. The angel used this poor means of an ass. Doesn't that show us, doesn't that show us in contrast the glory of the message? Yes, it's by the foolishness of preaching. And by somebody like myself and others who stand here, that in their feebleness are used to bring to you heaven's glorious message. A vision unlikely. A vision spiritual. So let's look at some of the content of this vision. It's spiritual, powerful, and royal content. First of all, friends, it is a spiritual vision. These people are in need of spiritual light. They are there among the sand and rocks of the desert. There's no beautiful prospect for them to look at as they seek to survive there in the hostile howling desert. And so their eyes are lifted above the demands of this material world. And this is the way you and I must live, friends. We can't live at this ordinary level. If we're to be true Christians, if we're to be true members of Christ's church, we must be living at a, a, a level above our neighbors, on a higher plane. Do you make sure that you reach that higher plane each day as you go to the Word? Do you let it lift you up so that you can live and walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh? That's the purpose of this message. And it declared to them that they were an acclaimed church. It says in verse 10, <clears throat> Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. Balaam looks on these people below them in their tents and among their cattle. And he sees what they are. He sees the people that are walking in the path of obedience. They're following that pillar of cloud and fire in their journey. They are worshipping there before the tabernacle. They're offering these evening and morning sacrifices. They are learning the, the way of faith through these primitive means of the altar and the labor and the vestments of the high priest. They are being tutored in the way of righteousness. And unbeknown to themselves, they're being set apart as a holy people. 
This is what God is doing. He's at work, friends, in you by the means of grace that he's provided. It's not just a day in the church eh, to try to struggle through. It's God at work. That's why you're here. Even outsiders can see what you cannot see, that you're a different. You're a special people under the fashioning and purposes of a holy God, an acclaimed church. It's also an approved church. Verse 21 tells us this. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. He has approved of Jacob. These people that sinned again and again. Why does God see them? Let's see ourselves through God's eyes. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. That's the very things we see when we read about the wanderings. That's the very things we see in ourselves, isn't it? Our friends, that's not how God sees you. He cannot see iniquity in you. Because between you and your iniquity comes that covering of the blood. So that your sins are hidden. Not one is left exposed. Oh, you say how perverse, how unwilling I am, how often I fail. No, friends. He has not seen perverseness in you. He can't see it. Why? Because he can only see the beauty and perfection of his son and says they are his people. He is purifying them. He is perfecting them. He is presenting them faultless before my presence. An approved church. And friends, it is an adopted church. Acclaimed, approved, adopted. This is what you are. Forget about your mother and father. You are adopted by God into his family. You are his daughters. You are his sons. That's who you are. Even Balaam could see it. it says in verse 23, <clears throat> Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? What has God done? This is astonishing to the, to the world. What has God done? He's taken you into his family. You who were waifs and strays. This is what the people in, in London found one day. When uh, they were sitting at the king's table, there was a little boy sitting there. They say, who's this boy? How did he get here? Well, what happened was that Prince Henry had gone out into the streets unnoticed, and he'd met a boy there. And he said, let's change clothes. And you, I'll go to your home, and you go to my home. So this little waif, this little urchin from the streets, was dressed in the prince's clothing. And he was allowed through the gates 
and sat down at the table before the king and queen. It was just a prank of Prince Henry, but friends, this is no prank. This is the design of Prince Jesus. To take your place in misery and shame and poverty and put you there at his father's table. Not one, but many multitudes, adopted church. Have you got that spiritual vision? It's a vision powerful, friends. Yes, we are so weak, aren't we? We don't seem to be achieving anything. What are we doing? Have we done anything for the Lord? We can't see it. But listen to this. This is a powerful vision. It says here in verse 24, <clears throat> Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion. Lift up himself as a young lion. He shall lie down until he eat of the prey. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. Here is a violent, predatory animal. Striking terror among the beasts of the field and the forest. Friends, we are a terror. Let us be a terror to sin and to sinners. Let us proclaim the Sabbath day and rebuke those who don't keep it. Let us rebuke the abortionists and the transgenders and all the other rebels against the creative beauty of God's creation. We must be predators. There was a a Scotsman who went out to Africa many years ago to Botswana, among the Tswana people. He was a gardener by trade, and he, he created a garden there in a place called Kuraman because there was a wonderful well of water. And um, he thought by this means that he would help the people, but they were very, he wasn't, wasn't making the progress that he thought. But he was called to a funeral one day and asked to speak. And his message was this. He said, this person who is dead will rise from the grave. And all of us will go to the grave. But on the last day, we shall rise again. The chief of the Twanas who was present was shocked to the core. He said, I have killed Scores of men. Do you say that I'm going to see them arise again and face them? That was the beginning of the change. From that day, that message struck terror in the chief and in his people. And Christ conquered that nation. This is the way God works through his word. She is a predator. She is piercing. She is punitive. Look at verses 8 and 9. How shall I curse when God... No, he says in chapter 24. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with their arrows. 
What's that? That's the power of the gospel. When it pierces sinners and brings nations into submission to Christ. You can go from nation to nation in Africa. You can go to Zambia, which was once a nation of bloodletting tribes. And now it is in covenant with God. That is parliament has made a covenant to be a Christian nation. That's why through the piercing, convicting power of the gospel. She is potent, friends. The church is potent. That's why we have this beautiful picture that we read. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, as the valleys are they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of aloes which the Lord hath planted and as cedar trees beside the water. Friends, the church of God is a garden. It's a new Eden. It's a paradise for whatever the gospel preaches. This message is proclaimed, already mentioned, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yes, this already we anticipate heaven when we hear the joyful sound. Oh, greatly blessed the people are, the joyful sound that know. In brightness of thy face, O Lord, the onward on shall go. Right, and for, finally, friends, there's a vision royal. There's a kingly vision. Where is the king? Moses was no king. J Joshua was no king. Aaron was no king. There was no sight of any king. But Balaam pro proclaims, the shout of a king is among them. You see how far ahead he could see? Again, he could see in that far distance to uh, that Judea, Judean hill outside Jerusalem where he was named King of the Jews, shouted in glorious victory, it is finished, it is complete, all has been done, the victory has been won, Satan has been broken. My people are delivered. Salvation is offered full and free. This is the blessings of this king. Are you in that kingdom today, friends? Have you heard that shout of that king? Has he accomplished a full salvation for you? The shout of a king is among them. Not only the shout of the king, but a star of a king. Says here in verse 17, I believe, <clears throat> I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Star out of Jacob. The bright and morning star. Have you ever looked up into the stars? I recommend. If you ever see a cloudless night, that you go out and look at the glory of the stars. What are they doing? They're shining in the darkness. And what purpose do they have? They guide. 
As every sailor knows, they guide the wanderers and the travelers to their destination. Is Christ your star? Do you know this star of Jacob? He's high. Yes, every star is high, isn't it? It's high and it's bright in the darkness. Oh, what darkness is around us. Oh, what light floods our souls. Oh, what guidance you will have on the path to glory if you but follow that precious morning star. Meet him as you rise each day. The star of God. And lastly, friends, this royal vision speaks of the scepter of a king. The scepter. The rod of his strength, as the Psalms calls it. This king is all-powerful. It says, as you know in Matthew, who said himself, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations in his authority. You have every right to speak to all this world. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. Do you have that vision from the angel of the Lord? Do we have it as a church? Let us pray. Living God, we falter in our vision and in our faith. We need to be recharged, even if it's an ass that is the means, yet the angel speaks through him. So, Lord, may we know that glorious angelic messenger, he who is none other than the Son of God in our nature, charging us, guiding us, ruling us, empowering us, and lifting us. Grant our eyes may ever look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, as we ask in his name. Amen.